Amen. Hey, good morning, Maple Grove. Good to see y'all. Hey, you know what I discovered? If you go on YouTube and look at something, sometimes they auto-generate things at the bottom that aren't actually in the video, and that's what I thought I had. I go, hey, Bart, it's really there. He goes, no, that's auto-generated. It doesn't really exist. So, anyhow, I apologize for that. I think I did that to that song before, but that's just a, that's just a great song, and it, it's crazy to think about that the God who spoke everything in existence really loves us. The God that said, let there be light, let there be planet, let there be billions of galaxies. The God that's holy and perfect actually loves us. What a father, what a friend, what a savior he is. Amen? Hey, welcome to week two of our four-week series, A Greater Than. Uh, remember, we stepped out of our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Matthew to talk about grace for four weeks. Grace is greater than. That's my line. My line is grace is, rather. Your line is greater than, okay? And, and, and all right, I'm kind of all over the place right now. And I know that when I get from my wife, she sent me a text earlier like, you seem angry. No, I'm not angry. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I'm not angry. I'm really not angry. I'm really feeling pretty happy. So she goes, you seem angry. No. Okay, I'm not angry, I'm happy, I'm excited, excited to be here, and I'm just kind of all over the place, but that's okay, because you guys know me, and you, you expect nothing less or more. My line is, grace is, your line is greater than, all right? Grace is. Grace is. Grace is. Amen. And I know that the word grace is something we're pretty familiar with, right? I mean, we've heard it many times before, and what I'm asking us to do in this series is to receive it new, to hear it fresh, as if for the first time, because the truth is, over time, words that we're very familiar with can lose their impact and their meaning. We begin to take them for granted. Yeah, I I know what grace means. The bottom line is, during these four weeks, I, I want us to receive grace new, as if we've never heard about it before. Recently, just last week, we looked at some new words that have been thrown out there recently. If you're here last week, we talked about words like phonesia, right? That's when you call someone on the phone and you forget that who you called and you say, who is it when they answer? Disconfect, the art of blowing on candy to get all the germs off it when you drop it on the floor. Blame storming, rather than fixing problems, you blame people for the problems. Intaxation. Before you get when you get a tax refund until you realize that it was your money to begin with. And then we looked at some Gen Z slang words. uh, uh, People love this. And and we talked about the word simp. And that means when someone does way too much for a person they like. Man, that dude is totally simping over her, right? Okay. Drip. There's another word we looked at. It's an adjective typically used to describe an outfit that is extremely fashionable and stylish. Talk about some serious drip, sister. You're looking amazing. (laughs) Thirsty. Desperate, usually for attention. Man, I I hope you all will give me a lot of love and feedback today because I'm feeling really thirsty. All right? That was last week. Now here's some two new ones, right? Actually four. No cap or capping. A cap is a word for saying 
uh, say, no cap means that you aren't lying. Capping means that you are lying. I'm actually going to sign up for Compassion Sunday today. No cap. That means you're going to do it, right? <laughs> you got tickets to Taylor Swift front row center stage? No way. You're definitely capping. Okay? Say, now you know. Tea. Not, you don't drink it. Tea means gossip. I heard Fred and Sally broke up. Come on, spill the tea, right? Now, sipping the tea means you're only listening and you're not participating, right? I'm just sipping tea. I'm just listening, okay? See? Sus. Sus. Another good one. Suspicious, right? Hey, don't order the sushi from across the street. That place is really sus, right? Glow up. Here's another one. Glow up. A major transformation in appearance. Did you see Angela? She had a huge glow up over the summer, okay? I want you to know, I I, I am here to help you guys. This boomer is here to help you guys. No cap, right? (laughs) And and, and let me warn you, right? If you start using this stuff, especially boomers, people prefer to be criticized, right? I kept hearing last week, you said that wrong. I said, hey, I Googled it. Everything on Google is right. It's correct, right? And, and I was talking to Gentile the other day because uh, uh, we're going to go catch the uh, tech game on Thursday night. And I'm talking on the phone. We got tickets. And I said, <laughs> okay, I'm driving down the road. I tell you what, being in there here and enter the Sandman with the lights is going to be totally lit. He goes, did you just say lit? I said, yeah, I did. He goes, I don't know about that, you know. And I told him, I said, I'm going to ruin all these words for you. You know how boomers ruined Facebook? And, and all the kids left because all those old people came on it? I said, I'm going to use your slang so much that you can no longer use it again. You know? <laughs> no cap. <laughs> all right. Back to, back to grace is greater than. All right, that was fun. Um, and the premise for the series is that no matter what you put on the other side of the equation, grace is greater than. didn't make sense. <laughs> All right. Hey, if I never see <laughs> whatever you put on the other side of the equation, grace is always greater than that. That's what I meant to say. All right. Well, stick with me. It'll be worth the ride today. I, I promise you. And last week we talked about how, how grace is greater than our sin. Grace is greater than our failures. Grace is greater than our mess-ups. Great is greater than the sin that maybe has held us in bondage for years. Again, whatever you put on the other side of the equation, grace is greater than. Grace is greater than my... You fill in the blank. Like, like what would you write in there? I don't know what you would write, but like, I don't know what sins you committed. Or the snakes you made. I, I don't know about the failures that you carry. I, I don't know about the, the regrets that wake you up in the middle of the night. I, I don't know the secrets that you keep hiding, hoping that no one will ever find out about them. I don't know. But what I do know is that whatever it is, whatever you would put in that blank, here's what I know. I know that grace is greater than. Get it? Good. And remember, getting grace is like a really huge deal. 
getting grace, the equation we looked at last week, based on Colossians 1, 6, getting grace equals changed lives and bearing fruit all over the world. Question, is anybody out there into changed lives and seeing God's fruit born all over the world? Amen. But understand the tragic truth, according to Hebrews 12, 5, is that some people miss grace. And missing grace equals bitterness, trouble, and the contamination of many. Missing grace equals bitterness, trouble, and the contamination of many. And here's the deal. When we get grace, the heartbeat of our lives, and we looked at this chart last week, when we get grace, the heartbeat of our lives is done, not do. Uh, The focus of our lives is inward, not outward. The foundation is relationship, not rules. The motivation is gratitude, not shame. See, religion motivates us with shame. Grace motivates us with gratitude. The reason we do all we do for God is not to earn his favor, but because we already have his favor. The feeling is not fear of not measuring up, of not being good enough, not frustration that no matter how we try, it never works out. But the feeling is that of freedom that we have in Christ. When the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed. And the outcome is not pride because we're such good rule keepers or guilt because we're such lousy rule keepers. But the outcome of grace is love. Amen? And if you've experienced God's grace, if you're part of, of this community, then you know that it's like, it's like facing a death sentence and having a stay of execution and being paroled. It, it's like finding out you have a terminal disease, but then finding out that there's a cure. It's like racking up this huge mass of debt and finding out that that debt has been forgiven. And of course we celebrate that. Of course we're going to be joyful about that. Of course we're going to sing about that. Maple Grove, let's become a community that regularly and vigorously celebrates God's grace in our lives. Let's become a community that regularly and vigorously celebrates God's grace in our lives. Amen? And what we're going to do today is we're going to flip the grace coin over and we're going to talk about messy grace. Understand, grace is really good when we're on the receiving end of it, right? I mean, we like to talk about that, sing about that, wear t-shirts about that, memorize scripture about that. However, when you talk about giving grace, it gets a little messy and a whole lot harder. Amen? I mean, yes, grace is such an awesome and joyful concept as long as, someone say as long as, We're not talking about extending grace to the father who berated us or the spouse who left us or the boss who fired us or the co-worker who stabbed us in the back or the relative who abused us or the friend who abandoned and betrayed us or the Jesus father who lied about us. I mean, grace is such a great idea as long as we're on the receiving end, but it's a lot messier when we're called to give it. Bible says in Proverbs 14.10, every heart knows its own bitterness. Which basically means that all of us have been hurt. Understand, every person in this room and watching online, if, you're, if you made it, has been hurt without exception. 
Maybe you were betrayed, abandoned, abused. Maybe you were ignored, rejected, embarrassed, bullied. Uh, uh, maybe someone gossiped about you and slandered you behind your back. And, and maybe some people who you once considered friends believed those lies and now they too have turned their backs on you. Or, or maybe the pain comes not for what someone did to you, but because of what they did to someone that you love. Bottom line, when we are the ones who are hurt, grace starts to get really messy. Now, here's what we're going to do today. October 22nd, 2023. My dad would have been 103 years old today. <laughs> Crazy. He's been in heaven for 24 years. But we're going to unpack a parable of Jesus, one you've heard before, one we even talked about before, found in Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiven servant. And listen, as we unpack these God-breathed, Holy Spirit-inspired, living and active words this morning, we're going to learn that grace is only grace if it works both ways. Now, understand, biblical grace, the grace that comes from God, like the only way it, it's really grace from God is if it goes both ways. Bottom line, if all we do is receive grace, we don't give it, we stop far short of what grace really is. Get it? Good. And listen, I want to make two things clear right out of the gates so that no one misses, misunderstands, or misappropriates our conversation this morning. And these two things may make us a little uncomfortable. Nevertheless, they need to be said. Number one, the giving of grace. Someone say the giving of grace. To those who have heard us, reveals how much grace we really have received from God. And how much we're just kind of faking it. Let that sink in. Number two. We understand, get, and experience God's grace. Only to the degree that we're willing to extend grace... You're not going to like this last part. <laughs> we, we, we understand, get, and experience God's grace only to the degree that we are willing to extend grace to the one who hurt us the most and deserves it the least. That's how you know it's real. That's how we know that God's grace is real in our lives. When we're called to give grace to someone who doesn't deserve it, who's really hurt us, and we actually give it with no strings attached and no planned sequels in the future, if you know what I mean. I forgive you today. You see, sometimes I was thinking this morning, we're in October, Halloween's coming, right? Sometimes our forgiveness of others is like Michael Myers, right? He's a, he's a bad guy in Halloween, you know. The bad guy, he would die, right? You think he's dead? Like, we, we think we have forgiven somebody, right? I forgive you. I've shown you grace. And what happens? The music plays. They turn their back. Da, da, da. <laughs> it gets back up, right? Right? And, and we can't do that. We can't do that. 
We can't have strings attached. We can't plan sequels in the future, right? Well, I forgive you today, but next week, guess what? My unforgiveness is going to rise up in a big way and come out to get you. That is not the way we do it in this kingdom. Amen? What I'm saying is that being saved by grace cuts both ways. And that we experience God's salvation, not just when we receive grace, but when we actually give grace. It's a question. Who has hurt you the most and deserves your grace the least? I mean, like, has anyone's face, has any situation, has any painful experience come into your mind this morning as we've been talking? Okay, here's how this passage starts off. Peter comes to Jesus with a question. Who else, right? Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, I think the question was prompted by two things. Number one, Jesus just gave a teaching about what you and I are to do when we have an issue with another person, like when someone sins against us, right? Just like, here's what you're to do. And he says, he commands us that, like, raise your hand if you ever had an issue with somebody. Anybody in here? Okay. Okay, raise your neighbor hands if they're, because they're lying right now. Okay. You know, and here's what Jesus says we're to do. Go on TikTok, <laughs> go on Facebook. No, what he said, what to do? Word to what? Go to that person, how? Privately. In other words, see, Jesus says, before you talk about that person, I want you to talk to that person. That's a command, right? And, and, and sometimes at church, we, we try to baptize that, <laughs> right? And try to get around it. Well, I know I was talking about them, but that was in a prayer meeting. Or that was in a small group. Listen, we have no business talking about a person till we talk to that person. Amen? Oh, man, y'all didn't like that one, huh? <laughs> y'all want to stay longer? Take it up with Jesus, right? I would say don't shoot the messenger, but don't shoot the message, shoot the messenger, but I wouldn't recommend you shoot Jesus, all right? I wouldn't bow too well for you. But I, let's attempt, because we all struggle with this. Let's be a church. Let's be a people that says, I'm not going to talk about you before I talk to you. Amen? Amen? I think that would be a good thing. Another reason I think Peter asked this, because I think he heard this and goes, yeah, you know what? Somebody hurt me. Somebody hurt me. And, and, and Jesus, I want to know, how far does this grace thing really go? How far does it go? How often should I forgive someone? Up to seven times? Now, Peter is probably expecting Jesus to commend him, right, for being so gracious. Remember, I've told you before, that, you know, the rabbi said you have to forgive a person three times, and then they're fair game. Peter says, you know what, I'm going to double that and add one for good measure seven times. And let's, let's be honest, to forgive someone seven times is a pretty big deal, right? Because sometimes you and I have a hard time forgiving somebody one time. When they sin against us. Peter thought by saying this up to seven times, he was going the second mile, that he was turning the other cheek. But the truth is, he simply wanted some kind of legal limit, a number where he could finally say, okay, no more Mr. Nice Guy. So when he throws out this number, he, he's feeling confident Jesus is going to compliment him. Peter, are you kidding me? 
Seven times? Incredible. Peter, why can't all my followers be just like you? That's what he thinks is going to happen. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins up against me? Up to seven times? Now maybe for you, it's not a certain amount, but it's a degree of offense. Like it's not seven times, it's just one time, but it's times seven, right? Because that's how significantly you've been hurt. How deeply you've been wounded. And again, I really think that Peter's talking about someone specific. And I think it's safe to assume that it's probably somebody that Peter was close to. Now, there are exceptions. I mean, sometimes there are people that come riding into your life, cause devastation and destruction, and they catch the next bus out of town. That happens sometimes. But listen, for most of us, the people who hurt us the most are the people that we love, right? Because we give those people our hearts. And when you give someone your heart, <laughs> we give them the power to do what to the heart? To, to crush it, to damage it. Like if, if someone I'm not really close to hates me, says terrible things about me, I, I can usually, without too much sustainable damage, get over it. However, someone I really care about, that's a whole other story. You feel me? David did. I mean, David writes this in Psalm 55, 12 through 14. Psalm 55, 12 through 14. You can just feel his pain. It is not an enemy who taunts me. I can bear that. It's not my foes who arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion, and close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. He goes, man. It was you. I loved you. I cared about you. We were close. We worshiped together. How many times must I forgive those who sin against me up to seven times? And you know what? I, I, I think Peter's question is also a question you and I would like to also ask. I mean, as long as Peter's asking, right? Hey, I like to know, Jesus, how, how far is too far? How much is too much? When does grace run out? And so Peter sets up this equation because he, Peter wants to know, okay, Jesus, when does this grace is greater than stuff, when does it end? Like, like when does the hurt in my life, when does the pain that they caused me become, when does this become my equation? When does my hurt become greater than grace. So Jesus answers, I'll tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. The word in Greek actually says 70 times seven. And that sound you hear is Peter dropping over unconscious. Couldn't believe it. 70 times seven? That's 490 times. And here's the deal. Jesus said, Peter, you got it all wrong. You don't count the number of times you've forgiven because forgiveness is 
unlimited. Like it's not like we say 299, 300, only 190 times to go. No. And 70 times 70 means there's no limit. And I get it. I'm with you. I feel you. That sounds crazy, unrealistic, not natural. But remember, we who live in the kingdom are not to live like those in the world. One where in the kingdom, we are supernaturally empowered to live a different life. To live lives where we actually can pray and mean, Father, forgive my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. And now we hear Jesus say that. I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven times. We probably accept that as true. Yet Jesus said it. It's got to be true. We get that right on a true-false exam. However, emotionally, it's really hard to get your arms around, right? I mean, we might acknowledge that it's true, but it doesn't feel true. I mean, if you're the one who's been deeply hurt, if you're the one who's been left, if you're the one who's been abandoned, betrayed, mistreated, and abused, if that's you, then you might say that it's true, but it doesn't feel true. Because sometimes it does feel like our grace tank has run dry. At least it does for me at times. And so Jesus gives a parable to help us emotionally get our arms around the truth that grace is greater than our hurt. Hurt, got any? Jesus says, therefore, someone say therefore. Came to heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, someone say, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, this wasn't uncommon in that culture, you know, being imprisoned for, for debt. That way you couldn't escape, and that way it would kind of it would kind of motivate your relatives to pay up. So this action would not surprise those listening to Jesus because they know the rule of the world. You owe, you pay. You owe, you pay. Again, this is a story of a king who wanted to settle counts. And this guy owed a huge debt. Anybody know what debt is? Is debt fun? Is that a good thing? No. Again, let me remind you of the size of this debt, right? Before talent meant skill, it meant money. A talent was equal to 10,000 denarius, one day's wage. Multiply your daily wage by 10,000 and you have the, the value of a talent. Interestingly, in all the taxes collected in Judea and Samaria for the year for Rome only added up to 600 600 talents, not 10,000 talents. So 10,000 is a lot of money. If you assume you make $45,000 a year, you work 260 days a year, uh, you make about $173 a day. And so a talent in your case would be 10,000 times $173 or $1,730,000. 10,000 talents would be $17.3 billion. And what is he trying to say with this big number? That this guy owes a debt that he can what? He can never pay that. 
Now, I want to pause here for a moment because this is really a story about the human race. In fact, it's my story and this is your story. Jesus says there's this king, there's this God who is extremely generous, full of mercy and grace, who's also painstakingly just, and every one of us has accumulated a mountain of debt before him. And we add to that debt all the time by sins of omission and commission. Honestly, anytime we're less than honest, anytime we twist the truth to make ourselves look better, every time we're unloving to our kids, anytime we're cruel and unkind to our spouse, disrespectful to our parents, every time we speak reckless words that hurt someone, every time we know the right thing to do and we don't do it, uh, we didn't reach out, we didn't serve, we didn't pray, we didn't give, we didn't forgive, every time that God gives us a gift that we're not grateful for, every time we gossip and use our tongue to hurt somebody, Every selfish act, every racist joke, every sexually impure thought deed, every judgmental attitude, every malicious behavior is adding to our unpayable debt. And so Matthew 18 just begins with this reminder we talked about last week that we all owe this huge debt to God. But praise God, because grace is greater than. It's greater than our debt. It's greater than our sin. All 17.3 billion of them. And, and then it gets interesting. Something happens. And the sermon becomes desperate and he goes for broke. He throws up a, a Hail Mary pass. Made famous by Roger Stallback in 1975 when the Cowboys were playing the Minnesota Vikings down 14 to 10 with 24 seconds left. And at the 50 yard line, he threw a pass. And Drew Pearson caught it for the touchdown. Afterwards, he, Drew Pearson said, it was a Hail Mary pass. And thus we have in football the Hail Mary pass, even in your Madden video games. You learned something today. You didn't even care about that, I know. Verse 26. Here's, the, here, here's his Hail Mary. He falls on his knees and says, be patient with me and I'll pay back everything. Notice the request. I'll pay back everything. No, he won't. He can't. It's impossible. He's not going to pay back $17.3 billion. Listen, if he worked 365 days a year at $173 per day, it would take him 273,972 years to pay that debt. What are the odds of an unemployed servant locked up in jail with his wife and kids to pay that kind of debt. Be patient. I'll pay back everything. It's a joke. It's like saying, hey, I'm going to empty the Atlantic Ocean with a teaspoon. It's not going to happen. At best, it's an insult to the king's intelligence. The master hears his plea, and Jesus, his listeners, know exactly what to expect. They know the way of the world. You owe, you pay. And so they're waiting for the hammer to fall. Instead, Jesus says, the king is moved with compassion. And he looks at this frightened, selfish, desperate guy who somehow managed to get into $17.3 billion of debt. How that happened, I don't know. He's moved with pity. Service master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Remember, this is a mountain debt, mountain of debt. And it just doesn't disappear. I mean, somebody's got to pay for it. Somebody's got to take the loss. Who takes the loss? The king does. See, the master's offering a whole new system of debt management. You owe, 
I'll pay. You owe, I'll pay. It's the economy of grace. It's a new way of the kingdom. And I know it's crazy, but the king says, I will pay your unpayable debt. I, I will take the hit. I, I will suffer the loss. It's on me. You can go free. You owe, and I'll pay. Now, imagine when he gets his news and he calls his wife, hey, hey, we're not going to jail. We're not losing our home. All our debt has been paid. And they're celebrating. I can't believe it. Like if someone paid, if you have a mortgage today and someone paid it off, would you be happy? Like I, I, I'd be happy, 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 happy. This guy is excited. So blessed. Thank you, Lord. Praise God for all blessings. He's singing, praising God. Jesus continues his story. When the servant went out, he found, it's like he's looking, same word used for finding the lost sheep, coin and son. He went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Owed him a hundred days wages. 173 times a hundred is $17,300. I mean, it's significant, but $17,300 is not the same as $17.3 billion. Again, a hundred days to pay that debt, it would take a hundred million days to pay the 17.3, a hundred million days to pay the 17.3 billion. This time he's the guy that owes the money, is owed the money. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me. Someone say, pay back what you owe me. <laughs> Look to the person to your right and left. Pay back what you owe me. <laughs> pay back what you owe me. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. Exact same thing, exact same request. He's only asking for the, hey, can I have the same grace you just got? And if you never heard the story and you're like watching it on the Hallmark Channel, what do you think? Oh, you're waiting for the to cry. He's going to forgive them. Their families are going to celebrate parties together. It's going to be so beautiful, right? That's what you expect to happen. Of course, he's going to show mercy. Of course he is. But he refused. He said he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. He refused. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Did you ever do that? I'm not going to. I'm not going to forgive you. I'm not going to let that go. I'm not going to. I don't want. And you know why you're not going to let it go? Because you don't want to. <laughs> why do we do wrong? Because we want to. Right? It's a simple, simple answer. Verse 31 is pretty important. Sometimes we overlook it. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were what? Outraged. And went and told their master everything that had happened. They're outraged. Why were they so upset? Because they lived in this community where they, they, have this, they have this king, they have this God who does not treat them as servants but as sons and daughters, who does not treat them as their debts deserve. And they have this king who's over-the-top merciful, Generous and gracious. And so when they see one of their own who's received God's grace, but then refuses to give it, it's a big problem. And they're outraged. That may seem a little out of place with Jesus on a message of talking about grace and forgiveness to talk about outrage. But listen, it's the only way that this community works. God's family works. Church works. 
It's not going to work if we who have received grace refuse to give grace. And so when we see a brother or sister who's received God's grace act ungraciously, that's a problem. Amen? That's a problem. That's a big problem. I mean, if we see someone who's received incredible grace of God, $17.3 billion debt forgiving, and we see them being judgmental, ungracious, unforgiving, constantly beating people up with their sins and failures, that's a problem. So within this parable of grace, there's also a call for some righteous outrage. There's this call for the church for Jesus' followers, to, to not be okay with ungrace, to not be okay with graceism, to not be okay with people being gracious. Here's what those words mean. Here, here's the definition of gracism. I don't know if you've ever practiced this or not. I deserve to have grace, but certain people who do not meet my standards because of who they are or what they've done to me do not. That's gracism. Hey, I deserve grace. Because who they are or because of what they've done to me, they do not deserve God's grace. A gracious is a person who's quick to ask for and accept grace and forgiveness, but who refuses to extend that same grace and forgiveness to certain people. Like, we're not a forgiven person if we, I forgive this person, this person, this person, I like him, but those Ten over here, not happening, never happening. Don't ask me to go there. You ever been a gracist? You ever practiced gracism? When we do, we are sinning. When we do, we are sinning. Get it? Good. Here's the deal. Ungrace, gracelessness, gracism, and being a gracious is not okay. And so the master finds out that this guy who had received incredible grace was refusing to give it. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. That means when I don't forgive, God would look at me and say, Steve, you wicked servant. Steve, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you, Steve? Have mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. And she shall pay back all the debt. Which is going to take a very long time to pay back $17.3 billion when you're in prison. He's never going to pay it back. He's going to spend the rest of his life in prison living with the overwhelming guilt over what he had did. You know, many times Jesus tells a parable and he doesn't really... He wants us to think about, hey, here's the point I'm trying to make. Not here. Doesn't do that here. I mean, he concludes this about as directly as you can. This is how, tortured in prison, this is how my father will treat each of you unless, someone say unless, you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. I know me, but some of you want to push back on that. Wait a minute, Steve. Are you telling me that if I don't forget the person who hurt me, the person who abused me, the person who betrayed me, who cheated me, who abandoned me, who lied about me, who whatevered me, 
You're telling me that if I don't forgive them, that God won't forgive me? No, I'm not telling you that. Jesus is. Jesus is. It's not the first time he said it. Matthew 6, 15. Like sometimes scripture is like, what do the trumpets mean? Yeah, we're like, oh, I'm not sure. This is pretty clear. Matthew 6, 15. But if you, Matthew 6, 15. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Well, yeah, that, that, yeah. no, it doesn't really, yeah, kind of, no, <laughs> no, 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 yeah, yeah. See, Jesus wants to make it perfectly clear that if we think it's okay to receive God's grace and not give it, if we think it's okay to be forgiven and not forgive, if we think it's okay to bask in our bitterness, to reside in resentment, to grip tightly to that grudge, to keep a record of wrongs, to let our hurt become hate, to let our madness and anger become malicious, if we think that kind of behavior is okay, we are wrong, dead wrong. And it could have eternal consequences. Grace is greater than it hurts. And I know, it's not fair. I know that. Because these people do owe you something, right? I mean, it's right there in black and white. They owe you $17,300, right? They owe you something. So it's not right. But here's the deal. We'll never be asked to give more grace than we received. Amen? And so Peter, Jesus saw Peter, hey, Peter, I know you're not great at math, but he says, Peter, I got this equation for you I want you to get. Peter, I want you to know that 17.3 billion, he says, I, I, I know you're hard, not good with numbers, but I want you to know, Peter, that 17.3 billion is greater than $17,000. Did you know that? Does that make sense? Does it? That's crazy. I think it's true. And that's not the big light of what you have to forgive. It simply means that the more we understand the holiness of God and the size of our debt, the more this equation, grace is greater than it hurts, begins to make sense. Amen? It's only in light of God's forgiveness that it could ever make sense. And listen, if this equation doesn't make sense to you, if you don't want to accept it, then you don't really understand the gospel and you don't really know yourself very well. Check out this statement. If the biggest sinner you know isn't you, then you don't know yourself very well. Amen, right? If the biggest sinner you know isn't you, then you do not know yourself very well. So we've been given this debt and the Bible says, Colossians 3.13, that we are to forgive as the Lord forgave us. As we wrap up, three more equations before we leave to help us choose the way of grace. Equation number one, grace is greater than repayment. And repayment means that, that they have to make it right. The person who hurt us has to make it right. Now, when I grew up as a kid, I, I was taught that if someone hurt me, I mean, if I hurt someone, I was disrespectful or disobedient, Whatever it was that I had to make it right. I had to say or do something to make it right. And that's a really great lesson for a kid to learn, right? But, but what it developed in me was this unbiblical approach to grace and forgiveness. Like, here's what I figured in my mind. That when it comes to forgiveness, when someone hurts me, forgiveness comes when that person who hurts me 
makes things right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, when they say something or do something to make things right, hey, then I'll forgive. Problem is, that's not forgiveness. That's not grace. That's justice. In the flesh, we want repayment. But let me ask you, what do you do when someone has hurt you so badly that there's nothing they can say and there's nothing they can do to make it right? What do we do then? Understand, if that, that is going to happen if it hasn't happened already. When someone does something to you so wrong and so hurtful that the moment you find out about it, you know there's nothing they can say or do to make it right. And that's where God's grace comes in. The Bible says in verse 27, the master canceled the debt. The idea that he erased it, that he completely, like he, he didn't extend the note. He didn't say, hey, let's make interest-only payments, like he forgave the entire debt completely. And that's what God has done for us. He's forgiven our debt completely. And listen, if we make our extending grace dependent upon the person who hurt us, making things right, then we need to find another name for it because it's not grace. Because grace is greater than repayment. Grace is greater than revenge. I don't get, I don't get even. I get hit, right? And maybe you've been hurt. They should not have treated you that way. And maybe you have the power to get even. Maybe you have the power to cause them pain. But grace releases that right. It says no to getting even. It says no to the you hurt me, I'll hurt you philosophy of life. Grace cancels the debt that they owe you because of the pain that they caused you. Grace cancels the debt that they owe you because of the pain that they caused you. If there's any justice to be done, we leave that in the hands of God. Amen? Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my friends. Do not repay evil for evil. Leave room for God's wrath. Vengeance is mine. I'll repay. I know what you're thinking. If I give up my even with someone who's hurt me, that's unfair. You're right. It's unfair. Whoever said forgiveness and grace was fair to begin with? I mean, was it fair for God's son, Jesus, to hang on the cross and have his body beaten and his blood shed and to, forgive everything, and to not only forgive everything you've ever done to show you mercy, but to extend grace, to forgive your debt, and then to adopt you into his family, to put his spirit inside of you, to prepare a place in heaven for you? Was that fair? That wasn't fair. So we released the right to get even. He canceled the debt and let them go. Today, October 22nd, 2023, Jesus is telling us, commanding us, let them go. Let it go. Let it go. It's not fair. I know it's not fair. They don't deserve it. I know they don't deserve it. I know that. But nevertheless... Let them go once and for all. Let me be clear. Letting them go doesn't mean you're not going to hurt. No, giving grace doesn't mean that you won't feel pain anymore. In fact, in some ways, giving grace means that you're choosing to live with the pain and the consequences of another person's sin because they can't make it right. 
I mean, they can try and it might make you feel better, but ultimately when you're really hurt, there's nothing they can say and there's nothing they can do. It just, it just hurts. And that's when God's greater than grace comes riding in to supernaturally empower us to do what we cannot do on our own. Understand, we cannot do this on our own. With God's spirit in us and God's love flowing through us, we can do, we can forgive, we can move beyond. Amen? Can't do it on our own. Grace is greater than resentment. And remember that resentment is this approach to hurt that says, I'm just going to be quietly become more and more angry about this situation. Be honest, that's the way a lot of people handle hurt, right? They keep feeding the offense. They keep reliving the pain. They keep rehearsing the hurt. They keep pushing the play button in their minds, watching again and again and again and again and again and again and again how they've been mistreated, how they've been disrespected, how they've been hurt. And so they're just going to quietly become more and more angry. And eventually, what does that anger do? It spills out. But here's the deal. When you choose resentment, who do you think really pays for it? You do. You do. You do and I do, right? I mean, we're the ones held captive in prison, right? Most times they're, you know, they're, they're sipping tea on a cruise ship, right? Right, and it's a small world, a Disney world, whatever, right? And you're like, they're like, they forgot all about it. And you're like, Argh. this really smart guy wrote this. Frederick Berkner wrote, of all the deadly sins, resentment appears to be the most fun. Lick your wounds and savor the pain that you will give back in many ways is a feast fit for a king. But then it turns out that what you're eating at the banquet of bitterness is your own heart. The skeleton at the feast is you. You start holding a grudge, but in the end, the grudge holds you. Grace is greater than it hurts. It's greater than repayment. It's greater than revenge. It's greater than resentment. Amen? Amen. What a powerful story Jesus tells in Matthew 18. In response, only, in response to not only Peter's question, but ours. Jesus, I really have to forgive them. They hurt me so bad. They don't deserve it at all. Jesus, when is my hurt greater than grace? And he says, never. This story is meant to impress several truths upon us. First, the greatness of God's forgiveness. Amen? Second, the enormity of our sins. Third, the relative lightness of sins against us. Fourth, the simplicity of forgiveness. Fifth, the danger of an unforgiven spirit. And six, that many times we are the unforgiven servant. Someone has written, we are most like beasts when we kill, most like men when we judge, and most like God when we forgive. Like God loves forgiveness. I guarantee you, God may call you out for a lot of things. He's never going to call you out to coffee at Starbucks and say, yeah, I got an issue with you. You are just too stinking forgiving. You know, you're forgiving everybody all the time, and I'm sick and tired of it. No, he's not going to do that ever. I want to wrap this up with this idea. Key to giving grace, I mean hard, messy grace, is to stop thinking about what's been done to you and start thinking about what Jesus has done for you. Stop 
Think about it's done to you. Start thinking about God has done to you, for you. And it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying we have to stop. Whenever the bitterness starts to grow, whenever the rage starts to set in, we got to stop and think about this, about what's been, stop thinking about what's done to us and what Jesus Christ has done for us. And when we really, really, really remember what's been done for us, it'll give us the grace to forgive what has been done to us. Amen? Amen. No cap. <laughs> you know, there's nothing more important probably these last two conversations, right? Then grace is greater than our sins and grace is greater than our hurts, right? Because that's how it works in God's house. In God's house, he forgives sins. In God's house, he expects us to forgive sins. Amen? And, and, and I just want to encourage you guys. You know, heavy topic. You know, you know, forgiveness is hard. My grace tank runs empty sometimes. But God's spirit will help us do what we can do on our own. Right? Don't try to do it on your own. Say, Lord, will you help me do this? I don't want to do this. I need to do this. Would you please help me do this? And I think he will. Don't you? Okay, we're going we're gonna to sing a song. We, we take communion every week, and we have, at the very station, we have our communion. And, and uh, that's why we also have our offering think boxes over there. Yeah, we, we read this morning, and our faith's come here, about this widow who, like, like put in, like, a couple pennies in the offering plate. And Jesus, like, man, she gave more than everybody else. What do you mean? She just, he says, hey, everybody else gave out their surplus. They gave after they went on vacation. They gave after they went out to lunch on Sunday, right? They, they gave out of their surplus. They're still doing all the things they want to do. And he says, this woman gave all that she had to live on, right? And, and I'll tell you, I read that, and I don't know about you, but my, my giving needs to be more sacrificial, you know? I don't give like that lady did, you know? Sometimes I give out of my surplus. Like, I'm still getting to do what I want to do, go where I want to do. And I just want to encourage you, you know? I, I know I don't talk about it a lot. You know, you know, I, I trust God's spirit to move in you. But listen, you know, be like that widow, right? Just don't give out of your surplus. Don't give God your leftovers. Give him your best. And when you grab the communion things, okay, Jesus, thank you for your broken body and shed blood. Oh, I don't think I want to give you anything. Ah, I don't know if that measures up too well, does it? Love you guys. I know I've been in your face a lot today, but I'm not angry. <laughs> I'm really not. Hey, this song is really good. I appreciate you guys working with this. This is a great song about our Father's house. I'm going to pray if you guys would stand. If you haven't grabbed your communion, go ahead and grab it. Father, we love you. Thank you for your grace. And God, this is hard stuff. God, I'm so quick to ask you to forgive me, and it's so hard at times for me to forgive other people. And I, I make excuses for myself, God, that somehow I'm justified in, in not forgiving everybody. Um... That's just not right, Lord. It's not okay. And God, help me to never forget the price that was paid, your son's blood, that I could be free. And God, your father's house is a house of grace, where grace forgives our sins, uh, where we extend grace to those who sin against us. And God, we love you. Help us to become the people you want us to be. Holy Spirit, whatever truth you want us to, to marinate on, this day and this week, may we do so to bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.